Heading west to hunt the rugged backcountry is what many hunters think of when they hear the word adventure. There's no doubt, that's a dream hunt for all of us. But you really don't have to head west to find a great hunting adventure. You can do it anywhere. My guest today, Tim Ensley, talks about his journey as a do-it-yourself adventure bow hunter. From his start honing his skills on public land in his home state of Arkansas, to heading all over the Midwest to live out of his truck and tent, testing his skills against mature whitetail deer. Tim explains that every hunt can be a true adventure if you want it to be. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to activate the hunt. Welcome to episode eight of Activate the Hunt podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell, and I'm your host. Whether you're new to the show or you've been a listener from the start, I want to welcome you. I interview some of the top hunters and hunting ambassadors there is and ask them the questions that will help all of us learn tips, tactics, and hunting information. Most importantly, it's my personal goal to spread the true message of value that hunting offers each of us. Before we jump into the interview this week with Tim Ensley, I have a few things I want to mention. Be sure to follow Activate the Hunt on Instagram over the next few days. Last week's podcast guest, Shane Simpson, is doing an Instagram takeover, posting live stories, photos, and videos as he bow hunts for deer on public land in the Midwest. Follow along at Instagram.com forward slash Activate the Hunt. Also, I have some exciting hunts planned for this fall, and I will be posting video content and vlogs from these hunts to YouTube. So be sure to search for Activate the Hunt on YouTube and hit subscribe. You can see all the videos and updates this fall. Alright, let's jump into my interview this week with do-it-yourself adventure bow hunter Tim Ensley. This episode is jam-packed with a ton of good information. I would definitely recommend taking some notes. Enjoy. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for uh, joining me today. I appreciate your time, and how are things going? It looks like you just got back from an awesome hunt in Kansas. Yeah, Colin, man, it was uh, it was pretty great. It was, it was actually kind of an unexpected surprise. I knew that deer was there, but uh, yeah, uh, it was a great trip. Let's just, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, man, it looks like it by the pictures, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for you. I'm really happy for you. And I know that you've, uh, you know, you've been putting a lot of work in the last few years, you know, on, on hunting in these other states, you know, and putting your time in, you know, scouting and really getting your spot set up where you can have, you know, the, the kind of success you're having. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we're going to talk about today in this, in this show is, you know, traveling to other states and kind of, you know, being that do-it-yourself adventure bow hunter. And, you know, not that this is how everybody has to hunt, but this is the way that, you know, you like to hunt. And I think that a lot of people can learn from, you know, what you have to say about doing it. So let's, let's go ahead and, and just to get started, it's always interesting to hear how somebody got started as a hunter. And, you know, I'd love to hear your story and love the listeners to hear your story. Yeah, I, I started pretty late, you know, I mean, uh, um, I was, some people know, I know, you know, I was a professional rodeo cowboy for 27 years and I just really didn't have a lot of time to hunt. And all my, you know, all my energy was put into my career, which was rodeo. And that was where my focus was because that's how I paid my bills. So I kept my focus on rodeo pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, not till, Later in my life, I I don't even remember how old I was. I was probably in my mid-20s. 
did I really get introduced to, to hunting and, um, you know, started out rifle hunting with my father-in-law. Um, was he the one who introduced you to hunting? No, I, you know, my, my granddad introduced me to hunting years ago, but it just kind of wasn't my thing. I just was so immersed in, in, in the rodeo lifestyle and, and livelihood that, you know, I knew growing up, that's what I was going to, I was going to be a cowboy for the rest of my life. And, um, I didn't, uh, I never one time, you know, even considered hunting as something I really cared one way or another about. I didn't, I didn't really care if I did it, didn't care if I didn't. So, you know, I was just so engrossed in, in what, what my life was as far as a cowboy and, and getting up and down the road and competing on a day to day basis and trying to be, you know, the best I could be as a professional cowboy. And, uh, I just didn't have that, that kind of time, but, but yeah, I was later on after I met my wife and her whole family hunts. And, you know, I mean, she comes from a little town in South Arkansas where they actually used to let school out for two, the first two weeks of, uh, of rifle season because, uh, they knew no one was going to be there probably including the teachers. So, uh, uh, yeah, her family was super tied into uh, hunting and her dad kept trying to get me to go and, you know, he, he took me out on a couple of rifle hunts. And to be honest with you, like I have no, I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. Cause I have nothing against rifle hunting tape, but it just did not do it for me. Like I still, I was like, man, this is just not my thing. And, uh, what was the reason why it wasn't your thing? I don't know. I guess I just did not see the challenge that I was looking for. You know, I yep. really wanted that. I really wanted, you know, something that was going to give me a, more like a chess match. Uh, well, you're you're a competitive guy too with the rodeo, professional rodeo background. I can definitely understand that. Yeah, and and it wasn't so much that I mean, like it wasn't that I had anything against rifle hunting. It just it wasn't my thing. I just it just didn't trip my trigger. And uh, uh, about a year later, a buddy of mine that I was rodeoing with, uh, uh, he was in town and he had his bow with him, and he was staying with me, and we were going to some rodeos, and he was a uh, like, man, uh, is there an archery shop around here somewhere? I need to get my bow worked on. And I'm like, he was out in the back, my backyard shooting his bow. And I'm like, I got to watching him do it. And I'm like, what about this bow hunting thing? And he was just totally immersed in it. And, uh, so we found an archery shop down about 20 miles from me that some, a buddy recommended. And we went and I, to be honest with you, I was sitting there while he was getting his bow worked on and I was watching an old Drury video on, on the TV. And it was a, I can tell you how long ago it was that, you know, it was a VHS. And uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there watching this VHS video and they're, they're actually talking about how they, you know, hung their stands. The reason they hung their stands where they were, it was like a giant chess match to try to, you know, at the time they were killing 130 inch deer and, and it was a, that was their thing, you know? And, and, and I was like, this is the thing right here. This, this kind of intrigues me. So I actually left that bow shop that day with a fully rigged out bow. Awesome. <laughs> and, that is uh, awesome. And I spent the next six months on the road while I was rodeoing, teaching myself how to shoot it. And um, without really having anywhere to bow hunt, another friend of mine that I rodeoed with uh, here here outside of Little Rock, uh, he's like, man, we got some property on the river. You can go over there and bow hunt it if you want to. And I went over there taking the knowledge that I got from – probably reading every bow hunting magazine, every watching every video, um, just the knowledge I learned from that. And I went and did my very best to hang stands and set everything up exactly like I felt like 
you know, I needed to, from what I've learned through the books and the videos. And that year, the second, the third day I sat in the stand, I killed a 126 inch eight point with my bow. And at that point, dude, I was hooked. Like that was it for me. And, and, um, from that point on, it's just been trying to find bigger and better challenges. I still love whitetail hunting. I still go to, you know, I get to go to some other places and, and chase some other things, but but it's always whitetail hunting to me, and I'm always trying to figure out a way to make it even more of a challenge. Yep, yep, right on. So so from there, you started to obviously travel and, and, and find other places to hunt. Um, you know, t- tell me about how that started and why you why you started traveling to other states to hunt deer. Well, to be honest with you, uh, it started out on – I started out – really concentrating on our little deer camp down there. My, my family, my wife's family's deer camp. I started out really concentrating on, on that. And I realized that, uh, uh, we live in a state obviously where bait is legal and, you know, there's a lot of feeders out. There's a lot of feed out everywhere. And I felt like, you know, man, we're just kind of coming in here and putting these deer where we want them. And we're kind of, ch- I want to, I want more of a challenge than that. And, uh, uh, after a few years of that, I actually migrated over to public land and, uh, on our public land in Arkansas, and we have a ton of it. It's, uh, all the public land here is bow hunting only, and there's no feed. You cannot supplement any way, anyhow, you have to just strictly rely on your woodsmanship skills. And that's, that's what turned me on about that. So I turned to that for, for a few years first, trying to hone my skills, you know, as a woodsman, first because i think any good bow hunter's got to be a good woodsman i mean you can't you can't be a good bow without being a good woodsman and um so i I started doing that on public land and learning these different places and why the deer were traveling here and what part of the year they were here and when the food sources were right here and where these pinch points were and just how to narrow down these spots after i did that uh i actually uh the first out-of-state trip I got to take was to Kansas, and um, a friend of mine had a um, had a ranch there, and uh, he had a he sold hunts, and uh, he just invited me up to hunt. Well, he had a piece of property that was about 900 acres that he said no, they had had it for a long time. They had some cows on it, but no one had ever hunted it. He had never put a hunter over there, and he said, "Man, if you want to come up and hunt that, get after it." And so after uh, 11 days, I killed. Uh, uh, and that was just me totally going in and hanging my own stands and doing my own scouting and everything. And after 11 days, I killed, you know, my first Kansas deer, which ended up being a, uh, 140 inch uh, nine point. And, um, and I rattled, rattled him in. And so from that point, I was kind of hooked on, on going where big deer live. And that, that's the key too. I mean, if, if, if your goal is to kill, kill big deer, um, I mean, you need to go where big deer live and, and we have big deer here in the state, most of them on public land. That's why I still love to hunt public land here. But um, getting to go to other states just provided a new challenge for me, especially I want every every hunt I've ever done out of state has been a do-it-yourself hunt. I mean, I've pretty much gone in. Someone's, you know, said, yeah, here's some land you can hunt. And I pretty much go in and do my own scouting, hang my own stands. And, and I hunt it until I either have to go home or until I'm successful are you scouting from afar or how, how often are you visiting a property once you find it? I'll tell you, I, I, I'm a big proponent of scouting from home. So, um, uh, I'll throw in a shameless plug here for Onyx maps because I've been with those guys for about five years and I started out with the chips and I still use the chips and I'll, 
I'll pop them in my computer for whatever state I'm going to go to. I'll pull up that area um, with the aerial view and I'll start looking for, you know, obvious pinch points, water, food sources, bedding areas. And I start narrowing down those spots from my computer. And once I narrow down those spots, I've got these spots marked. uh, And then I basically, when I get to the property for the first time, usually I try to get in, you know, at least three days or so before, you know, I'm actually planning on starting to hunt. Um, I'll get in those spots and normally they've been spot on. Like I've already, all I've got to do is find the right tree that's going to have the right cover and the right wind. So, uh, once I find once I find those spots on my computer, then I just bail off in there. Half my work's done. Usually, I'm hunting within a within a day rather than having three days to wait. I get there three days early, and usually I'm hunting within a day. I've got I've got at least one setup, and I can go ahead and start hunting within a day instead of just wandering around the woods looking for a place to hunt. So you're you're basically hunting. You know, you're you're planning a hunt. You're going. You're traveling there. You're so you're getting in your truck. You're getting to the property three days ahead of time, and then you're hunting within a couple of days. Now, are you're not visiting that property prior to, or, or is it just typically that you don't find that property till maybe later in the year? Well, it just depends. Like um, a lot of the public land that I hunt out of state is, um, yeah, I generally just find it at home, and I and I'll call the you know the DNR and I'll I'll talk to um, uh, try to talk to a biologist. I, I, I know I do that with like Nebraska. I've, I, I actually have got the biologist cell phone number now in Nebraska, and I like I've been there enough times on public land that, you know, I call him up and say, Hey, I'm thinking about hunting this area. And he'll basically give me, you know, the numbers of, you know, bucks to does, um, you know, whatever the ratios are. And he'll give me as much advice as he can. The DNR is there to help you. I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk to him, but a lot of people will not, you know, kind of try to stay away from those game wardens. But listen, man, I, I, I make friends with all of them I can make friends with because they have all the information you need. <laughs> I think that's a great tip for especially the new hunters that are listening. Don't be afraid to contact your DNR your, or your game wardens. I've heard this from so many other guys who are very successful hunters. That's what they do. They, they even before they get to a spot, they'll call those guys up, you know, get as much information as they can. And sometimes those DNR officers will say, hey, here's my cell phone give me a call when you're in the area i'll help you out i'll show you around and man that's that's a huge i mean if you want to have success traveling on a hunt that can really help you a bunch right there yeah and just like nebraska i mean having having the dm having the uh the biologist um having his phone number is has been a super big help for us because um i've done a couple you know uh i've done a couple of hunts there now that you know one's been successful one hasn't um and i've done a ton of turkey hunting there too uh, all on public land and the fact that you know with with and i'll say this with onyx i can tell you right now without onyx maps i would have probably never had the courage to go do the stuff i do now and uh, you know a lot of this stuff that i do now is and, and we're going forward with this is kind of turned into my new thing is kind of what we like to call adventure whitetail hunting is two man tent wall tent depending on who's going and we go find some really cool public land in some different states and we throw the wall tent up or if i'm by myself i'll just take a little two-man tent you know and uh just go by myself throw up a two-man tent and uh, 
get after it from right there just by myself and and it turns into an adventure then you know i'm all on my own it's all about my woodsmanship skills my camping skills and obviously i'm not in the back country and i'm not having to hike in you know 100 miles or nothing i'm just uh you know i'm pretty much drive up park my truck you know dump my, my camping gear out and and uh set everything up start hunting um, do you typically find like camping spots ahead of time before you uh, go to a property that you're kind of targeting well a lot of time i'll a lot of the uh the wildlife management areas or now now not so much on the block management uh on block management stuff you you know there's obviously no no camping uh uh, you because it's private property that's just leased out for hunting so you're, you can't so you can't camp on that property because you're actually hunting someone's private farm that they just have they're in that blm program yeah they're in the blm they're they're in the bureau of land management program where they're uh i've always just called it block management but it's bureau, bureau of land management and uh it's um they're in the blm so you can't camp on their property so you may have to find somewhere close you know close that you can camp um in Nebraska, we camp actually at a campsite, which is called Indian Cave, and we go in there and, and we rent a campsite for, and it's a tent-only campsite for you know a week, and we put up a wall tent, and then we have a couple out outside tents that we keep our food and all our camera gear and our you know our solar panels and crap out so we can recharge everything, and uh, then we but then we actually hunt the BLM. So, um, we actually hunt, not in the park. We hunt, you know, within a 15 minute drive from there, we can be on 12 to 13 private farms that are in the BLM. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I like it better that way. It's more of a camping environment. If you have friends with you, you know, other guys that like last year, I took a couple of guys that really haven't hunted uh, public land very much. And I said, you know, for your first experience, we're going to do a wall tent camp. So we put up a, I've got a, a, a 14 by 17 Montana canvas wall tent. And uh, so we put that thing up and all of us slept in it. And then we had our outside camps, you know, little little tents that we had our gear in. Then we cooked. And it's just more of a camping environment. There's no TV. There's no outside distractions. It seems like it's just a lot more fun. Yeah. And and this brings up a great point because I, I know you had a little Instagram rant the other day on your Instagram stories, <laughs> and, uh, which I loved. You know, just because you're not hiking in, you know, uh, five miles or 10 miles into a, into a backcountry place, you know, just because you're not hauling out a, an elk quarter over your back with blood running down your back doesn't mean you're not on an adventure hunt. You can, you can turn a whitetail hunt in another state into an adventure hunt, just like you're doing. And, and the satisfaction and the value that that has on your soul as a hunter is just, is, is, is awesome. You know, it, it just takes a, a, a regular hunt, which come on, it's hunting. I mean, I don't care what kind of hunt I'm on. It's, it's a ton of fun, but you know, you can kind of bring that adventure factor into it, which is what a lot of us are addicted to. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, that especially in this, you know, this time and, and being around the industry. And I mean, Colin, you've known me ever since I've been around this deal. I mean, I kind of walked in with my eyes really big and not really, knowing what to expect. And, uh, uh, but I, I think just over the last five years, you and I both have seen a lot of things change. And one of the things that has changed for the worse is that, you know, for some reason, you, you know, it, it seems like we've broken off into these tribes and yep. Yep. we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in the, we should be one big tribe. Uh, 
whether you're a Western guy or a Midwest guy or whatever, it doesn't, you know, uh, uh, we should all be in the same tribe and we should all be pulling for each other. I agree with you. I mean, I've recently done a post about this as well on my social media profiles. I don't think that we should be putting others down just because they hunt differently than us. You know, we shouldn't be, you know, like you said, we shouldn't be, you know, turning this into a bunch of different tribes and, 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 you know, competing against each other. Yeah. Maybe one guy likes to hunt a certain way and you like to hunt another way. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to work together to support each other. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily agree with everything that, you know, other people yeah. do, but the most important thing is to hunt ethically, to hunt safely and to promote hunting in the, in, you know, in, uh, ethical, you know, light and to do it in a way where it really shows hunting in the way it's supposed to be shown, you know, in a pure, you know, um, authentic manner, I think. So, yeah. And that's, and that's, that's one of the things I, I usually get on my soapbox about too, because I think, uh, I think that we have to protect hunting and we have to protect it as hunters. And the fact that, you know, I call it nowadays, you know, everybody wants to be Insta famous. And so, you know, everybody's, it's so easy with social media that people can just put up anything. And, uh, it seems like sometimes people put up stuff that are, is, you know, way gory, way over the edge just to get a reaction. And what they don't realize is that, you know, even though it's, it's their right to hunt that way, um, it, it hurts all of us in hunting in general to show hunting in such a bad light to certain people because we're not we're not ever going to convince the anti-hunter that hunting is good because he or she is just as convicted with their beliefs as we are with ours. So you're not going to sway those people. So the people we always have to try to sway are the people in the middle that don't care one way or another. Well, the people that just don't understand hunting, you know, like we understand it. So we need to portray it in yeah. the authentic way, you know, in the pure way that it is, you know, how, how much value it has. Yeah. So whether, whether it's your given right to do it or not, you know, I mean, we need to take care, care with our, I kind of got a little deal, you know, back earlier this this fall because someone sent me a video tagged me in a video on on facebook and it was of a five-year-old kid killing his first deer man i was i'm happy for any kid that gets to kill his first deer but you know and they were dog hunting dog a lot of people don't know what dog hunting is i mean dog hunting is legal in arkansas it's legal in louisiana you can literally turn loose a pack of dogs to run deer and then you, they sit on the roads and the trails and everywhere else and wait on the dogs to run the deer across and, and they shoot them. And, uh, you know, this kid killed his first deer and the dogs were chasing it. I'm not a, I'm not a dog hunter, but I'm also not the person that's going to try to take somebody else's way of hunting away from them. Cause my wife's granddad, he lived to hear those dogs run. Um, and so even though it, it's not something I'm going to do and, it gets aggravating when the dogs run through your property and shut your deer herd down. Would I ever be a proponent for it? No, because I know there's people out there that that's just what they love. They just live to hear the dogs run. And, but this kid killed his first deer and it was awesome. I was fine with that. But then they're videoing, you know, the dogs are over there tearing this deer up and the deer's still alive. And I'm like, I don't like this. And I actually deleted it you know, from my profile and the guy's like, you don't like a, if 
five-year-old kid killing his first deer. And I said, no, I'm, I'm super cool with that. I just, I can't stand the rest of this. I don't want to see the rest of this. And so I think we have to, we have to police ourselves, Especially with how, how easy it is for others who don't understand that way of hunting through social media. Yeah, exactly. And, and putting it out there for, for everybody to see, you got to realize, I mean, it, what people have to realize out there is that it's, it's so easy to portray it. Uh, even though something that, that seems pretty harmless and normal to you, to someone who is maybe doesn't care about hunting one way or another. It's not that they don't like it, but they don't dislike it either. They just don't care. Um, but if you show them something that, that is offensive to them, then all of a sudden they care. I think that's why the, the people that, that we need to portray hunting to as a, as an ethical, as ethically as we can, listen, we're, we're killing an animal. We're taking its life. I mean, there's never going to be, there's never going to be, you know, any way to tickle that and make it into something not that it's not because we are, we are actually taking the life of something else for substance for ourselves. Right. Exactly. So there's no way to make that into something that it's, that it's not. But, um, if, if we portray it like it's just a totally barbaric act, then, you know, we've turned it into something that not what they, what the, what the people on the outside don't realize is that probably 90% of us are against that. Just like they would be. There's 10% that don't care. And then you, and, and we're, we're trying to fight against the same thing. These people in the middle of the road are trying to fight against. We don't want to show, we don't want to be unethical. We want to be conservationist. We want to protect the deer herd. We want to protect the environment. We want to protect the habitat. Same thing they want to do. Um, we just, we put more money into it and we actually put more time into it. So uh, 10% that actually do things really crappy uh, that make the rest of us look bad. We're, we're trying to police that too from the inside. So I think this was a good little rant to go off, you know, off, <laughs> off on a little bit. No, man, this is good stuff. I, I really like that. And I'm glad we talked about that, Tim. And I know we've talked a lot about these things in the past. So I'd, I'm kind of glad we got into that a little bit. Let's get back, uh, back into a little bit of the do it yourself kind of adventure hunting. And let's, let's talk a little bit about your, you know, what your equipment is like, you know, so obviously you're traveling, you're traveling far, you know, away from home to go hunt. So you're not, it's not like you have the luxury to drive a couple miles, you know, a couple miles to go back and get something if you need it. I mean, you're, you're on a trip and you're going to be gone for 10, 15 days possibly. So, you know, I, I know I, we've taught or I've seen your setup before, but go ahead and talk a little bit about, you know, how you carry two bows with you, you know, the, some of the equipment you're using for these adventure hunts. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, um, I've, I've been with bear archery for, six years now and um i I, i'm pretty much always going to carry two bows with me not that i've ever had a bow mouth uh malfunction i never have i actually dropped one of my bows out of a tree in ohio one year and dropped it completely down into a uh a rock uh i guess it was a creek bottom just a rock creek bottom and 20 feet out of the tree and i was just i thought man that's it my hunt's over i've been here two days and i've dropped my bow out of the tree a uh, dude straight out of the tree and i don't know what happened but i went and shot that bow that night and it was still on no problems I actually killed a deer with it um but i'm always going to carry two bows now um 
I have that luxury. I mean, because I'm sponsored by Bear, so I, you know whatever bow I had from last year, I always keep as my backup bow, so it's always set up and ready to go. Um, one of the things I've kind of gotten into this year is um, Bront Box. It's a new company out there. A lot of people may or may not know about it, but that box has saved me so much space. And I I, I travel around in the suburban, and um, I can get all my stuff in there. Sometimes I, I've got a little uh, four by six cargo trailer that I pull behind it, but that's if we're taking the wall tents and all that stuff. I'll I'll take that that little cargo trailer, put the wall tents, all my stands, everything in there. Uh, but that Bront box, I can put literally everything I need for a hunt in that Bront box. I've met those Bronk box guys at at uh, a trade show actually, and I, I took a look at what their you know their product. And man, I I was you know I I've done some traveling and hunting in the past as well. Luck, you know, luckily for me, and uh, you know it's always a hassle having to carry like four or five totes, you know, with everything in it and keeping everything organized and separated. It really kind of, you know, made it easy for you to put everything in one box, be able to lock it up, especially when you're on the road and, you know, you're, you're leery of people maybe stealing your stuff. You know, there's, there's some, there's some good benefits to that. And I, and honestly, I don't have one, so I can't say that I've used one before, but man, just looking at it, I was very impressed and I'll definitely link up to that in the show notes so people can take a look at that. It might not be, you know, something that a new hunter is going to use because they might not be able to afford that right off the bat, but it, I think it's something that you can definitely, if you, if you start to invest in doing these traveling hunts, you know, it might be something to invest in. So the cool thing about Bronx box is I can put everything I need in there for a, I have, you know, warm weather gear next to skin, coach, jackets, and then the top of it's actually a bow case. So my bow's actually in there. I don't have to carry a separate bow case. I just carry everything I need in that one bra box. So uh, that ta- that saves me from taking like two totes and then a big two heavy bow cases. So now I'm down to like one soft case that I carry my extra bow in and uh, or I put my extra bow in in my bronc box and just leave it so it's there for the whole trip um the other things you know i'm always gonna I, I'm, I'm really big on especially since i started going out west um a, a water bladder in your back in your backpack and i carry kind of a medium-sized pack from badlands uh which is the ultra day i carry the ultra day pack but i keep that water bladder in there because even when you're sitting up in the tree you get thirsty and all that stuff you're even though you're tree stand hunting I don't like fiddling around with those water bottles because they make noise, they crunch, they crackle. Um, the fact that I can have that water right there in my backpack hanging on a tree right beside me is uh, is immensely uh, just convenient because I can just reach around there and get my you know my tube tube to get a drink and and it's back down. Um, other than that, scent uh, elimination is super important to me. That's another place where Bronx Box comes in because it is completely airtight. And once you got all your clothes completely clean um, and you put them in there, like I don't, I used to have to keep all my clothes in these separate, you know, two gallon, two quart bags, two gallon uh, Ziploc bags. I'd put my clothes in there and then I'd put them in my, my tote and, uh, and then I'd take them out, put them back in all this, all this stuff. Now I don't have to do that because that thing's sealed. So, you know, I, another thing that I, I will always find somewhere to take a shower. I'm going to take a shower, you know, every day because I want to try to keep my body as sit free as I can. Even when I'm camping in these places, if we're staying in a campground somewhere, there's there's a shower available. So 
Um, every day, sometimes a couple times a day, depending on what the temperatures are, I'm going to go take a shower. Uh, but I also always carry a toolkit with me. Um, some people might have saw that. I did a I did an Instagram story on my toolkit. I did. I saw that, and I really liked. I liked that whole whole deal there. Yeah, I'm always going to have a, a you know everything I need to repair my bow um, in that toolkit, including I always carry an extra set of string and cables that are already ready for my bow. Um, so if something happens, I cut a string or something just just happens, I can find an archery shop somewhere and I can actually just put my new strings on there. I can go shoot a few arrows through it and it's already set up. It's got the loop in it. It's got a peep sight, uh, kisser button, everything's on it. It just goes right back on my bow and I'm good to go, you know. So uh, I think being prepared is, is uh, the most important thing. Just just if you feel like it's something you're going to need, throw it in because uh, even if you think, oh, that's never going to happen, that's when it'll happen. So uh, as far as that goes, and with all with Badlands, you know, um, uh, Badlands is, is making clothing that's that works perfect for whether you're in the mountains or whether you're in a tree stand. And that's uh, and, and knowing how to layer it, obviously in the back country is uh, particularly important. Uh, when you're on an elk hunt or, or a backcountry hunt in the mountains because you're, you're trying to keep that, that moisture wicked away from your body or else, I mean, temperatures could, you know, you lived up there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. temperatures can go from, you know, 61 minute to the next minute is 30 and sleeting. Um, well, I think even for whitetail hunting, though, layering is actually important uh, yes. just for the fact that, you know, you're walking into your stand and especially, you know, on some of these hunts that are, you know, in another state, you know, you're trying to get away from other hunters more than likely. You're probably humping it in and hiking in a little ways, you know, to, to your tree stand or to your spot. So you're going to work up a good sweat, especially if it's in the early season, you know, like what you're what you were doing in Kansas and, you know, having that first layer, you know, just on and then hiking into your stand. And then when you get to your stand i think you know what i usually like to do is throw that up my my second mid layer or my top layer on and, and i'm ready to go yeah i think that's super important in, in whitetail hunting and i think most guys the reason why they can't stand to stand uh for long periods of time is because their their layering system is bad i know mine used to be and and uh, uh i didn't even realize it back in the day was you know i <clears throat> i would hike in and i would feel fine i'd get in the tree and uh, that first that first few minutes of sunrise is when it seems to be the most it seems to be the coldest when you're in cold temperatures and that's when if you don't have on something next to your skin that's wicking that moisture away from your body uh, you're gonna get cold and you're gonna stay cold and if you're if you're freezing you're sitting there freezing to death uh, you're not gonna hang in there very long I mean I know <clears throat> I know guys that have been on trips with me that you know, by eight o'clock in the morning, man, they're back in camp and, uh, and, and I'm still hanging in there tight and it's because of the way I layer. And, and, I that's one of the things we're, we're, we're actually working on now is we're fixing to do a layering video for the tree stand for Badlands. And, uh, uh, I think that's super important. And as, as far as other gear, you know, a good set of binos and a good range finder, I think for a bow hunter are two things that are super key because I, I have a range in my backyard and I shoot all the time, but man, that range finder means so much to me. Just, and, and when I get up in the stand, I'm going to range a lot of spots around me. Um, and I'm going to know what they are automatically. And that way I don't, I don't have to pull my range finder up if I don't want to. If, if, 
you know, I've ranged a specific tree or a specific spot and a deer happens, to, you know, he, I know he's going by that spot. I already know what the range is there because I've already ranged it. So I don't have to, I don't have to try to fiddle with my range finder to get it up and, and, and check it out uh, because I'm pretty, pretty sure I know. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you primarily hunting out of stands or are you doing some ground blind hunting? You know, t- uh, walk me through kind of your setup on, on that. Well, it just depends on the area. Like, like the spot where I was at in Kansas last week is a super, super good transition area. And this is what's so cool about that spot. Um, that spot is, there's literally less than a quarter acre of woods on that spot. Um, and I've killed 370 inch deer out of that quarter acre of woods. Um, it's a, it's a tree line. It's, it's basically a fence, fence row that goes into a little brushy spot that's separated by a cow pasture and a bean field. And in the middle of that little transition area, there's a pond and around that pond, there's just a lot of brush and there's one tree and my stand is in that one tree. And, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so there it's, it's definitely beneficial to be in a tree because, uh, there's really nowhere you're going to get in there in a blind and be able to get a shot as many shots. I mean, you're going in, in there, you would, in a blind, you would be pretty much limited to shooting right in front of you. Um, where when you're in a tree, I mean, you've got shots all the way around you. Like the 178 that I killed in there a couple of years ago, he actually was behind my tree. And, you know, had I been in a blind in there, I'd have maybe not even seen him. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's a tree stand spot. But when we're hunting fields, like we've got a couple, three crop fields on that property up there. And once the crops are gone, <clears throat> we, we set up ground blinds on those fields and we hunt the ground blinds. So uh, it's just easier to hunt the blinds th- there than it is to hang a stand. Uh, so, yeah, there's certain times I use a blind, certain times I use a stand. It just depends on the scenario. Are you hanging all of your stands right when you get there and you scout for those days before the hunt? Or are you uh, just kind of hanging and hunting as you go and, and moving stands around as you see action happening in certain areas? Yeah, usually, you know, like I said, we when we're moving, when we're going into a spot that we haven't hunted before and I've just scouted it from home, uh, I'm going to go in those spots that I've got marked already on my Onyx maps and I'll go in there and look and, and if it looks like I expected it to look, I'm hanging and hunting and I'll give it a couple of days. Um, and if and if I see action happening somewhere else, maybe I need to tweak 50 yards or 60 yards or 100 yards or 200 yards then I can always, you know, go back in there in the middle of the day and tweak my stand over and uh, get to where I need to be. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, we're, you know, with <clears throat> with being able to scout from home, uh, it, it takes so much of the guesswork out of it. And and what I'm looking for is so, so simple. And, and it's a strategy that's worked, man, pretty much every state that I've been in in the last six years, the strategy has worked. And it's pinch points i'm always looking for pinch points and it never fails that once that you know we're we're, we're primarily hunting except this past week obviously in kansas um <clears throat> we're primarily hunting during the pre-rut or the rut so what i'm looking for are travel corridors pinch points between two bedding areas that basically funnel those deer down into those pinches and it's pretty simple to find. Uh, the mistake that a lot of people run into is they start going into these spots and looking for sign. Because uh, that's kind of how we've been trained, right? Like we've been trained to go in and look for scrapes and look for 
look for rubs and and it and look for you know a super enormous amount of, of deer tracks and if we don't see that then we automatically assume it's not a good place it's during the rut i tell everybody listen if you can find a really cool pitch point between two bedding areas i don't care if there is a rub a scrape or even a trail hang your stand there get the wind right and hang on because one's going to come through there that's the same uh, strategy i use when i hunt in kansas as well but it was during the rut so look on a map and you can see where that pinch point is you know find a good tree hang it get ready because there's going to be some action yeah, and, and and you can you can actually I find most of those bedding areas like I said on 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 my computer at home. I mean, if I'm looking at a big block of timber, or or just a big block of CRP, uh, I'm like I know there's deer going to be bedding there, and so what I'm looking for is um, I'm looking for those those narrow spots that are in between a couple of those places. So <clears throat> most of the time I don't even go into bedding areas. I just I just go straight into the pinch points and I hang a stand. And, uh, you know, the one thing I know for sure, like, like one of our best stands in Kansas, which we've had this same property now for five years up there. So, you know, I don't do much scouting up there anymore because I pretty much know where they're going to be and when the best time to be where is. But we have a stand up there called the 170 stand. And I killed 170 inch deer out of that stand as well. It's a 12 foot ladder stand. And it's inside of an old, um, what they call an ironwood tree, which has got a bunch of, you know, forks coming off the bottom. <clears throat> and um, basically, um, in that stand, it's only behind you is a creek, and right behind the creek is a cow pasture. So you're 20 yards from cow pasture. In front of you, 80 yards is another cow pasture, and you're in the only narrow strip of timber. So you're basically in a 100-yard pinch point. It's 100 yards wide, and, and we're up in it about 20 yards. And these deer during the rut just funnel back and forth through there. Now, early season, you can go in there and sit all day and probably not see a deer. But once that rut starts, man, it's it's like about 8 o'clock in the morning, it just turns into a parade of, of bucks, young bucks, old bucks, everything going through this spot. Because that's the only place they've got to travel where they have cover. Other than that, they have to be out in the field on either side. So, you know, it just it's just logic to me that, that you find these pinch points and um, – I've had guys come come down there uh, and hunt with me from Arkansas, and they're like, I don't understand why you've got to stand here. And I'm like, listen, man, just get in there and, and hang on because, <laughs> you you know, hang on. And uh, I've had them text me and go, oh, it's, it's 8 o'clock, and I haven't seen a deer yet. And I say, well, just wait because about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn on. And they'll come back and go, man, I cannot believe how many freaking bucks I saw in there today. Um, you know, you may or may not get a shot, but it's it, they're just there. Um, uh, it, so just knowing those spots and I use that same principle when I go hunt public land, because, you know, if you go hunt and I, and I normally, when I'm hunting other States, I'm looking for, I'm not looking for these huge blocks of timber. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to a place where there's, you know, 1200 acres block of timber. And that's what I've got to hunt because most of the time, I mean, you can spend uh, two weeks in there trying to figure out the deer patterns because if it's if it's timber, open timber, they can travel anywhere. So what I'm looking for to go out of state so I can have my, you know, the best opportunity I can have is I'm looking for those places that uh, maybe have limited timber on certain properties or they have real narrow pitch points like our place here in Arkansas, river, 
and f- private farm field. And so you got river on one side, private farm field on the other, and you're hunting these little strips of timber that are public land. The farm fields are private. The river obviously is water. And these little strips of timber are holding all these deer. It's it's pretty obvious you've had a lot of success, Tim, you know, uh, hunting deer, especially in other states. You know, it, this doesn't happen right away, though, and I don't want the listeners, especially the new hunters who are, you know, planning an adventure like this to think that it's just going to turn on and it, this is going to happen right away. What are some tips you can give somebody who's new to this and, and is planning on heading on their first uh, hunting adventure to a new state? Yeah, I'd say to anybody that's that's wanting to get started at this, um, especially whitetail hunting, uh, get off, get off the, the land that you're totally familiar with. That's what I had to do. I had to get off of the, you know, our, our little hunk of land that we had in our deer camp that I knew like the back of my hand, because it kind of made me stale to, 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 like we talked about before my woodmanship skills, I kind of lost some of that. So if you can, if you've got any public land that's close to you, maybe you haven't gone and experienced it, go make a decision that, Hey, listen, I'm going to hunt this public land this year. Um, and, and start studying it, start studying, you know, the, the travel patterns, start looking for these, these pinch points in these places and trying to get away from, from the road. That's number one of the one things I look for. A guy asked me in a seminar one time, he said, well, what do you look for? You know, when you're, when you're looking at public land to go hunt. And I told him, you know, the pinch points and the different areas that funnel the deer down and, and where they have to go anywhere else. And I said, then this next thing I look for is human footprints. And if I see a ton of human footprints and a lot of traffic, probably not in the right spot. Uh, I'm going to bail because uh, I'm definitely going to have somebody come in on me at that point. So I think just, just explore your public land first and start really honing your woodsmanship skills. And here's the other thing that I did. I, uh, once I'd read everything I could read, every article I could read on uh, whitetail hunting and strategies, then I started reading every book I could get my hands on just about whitetail deer, if that's what you're wanting to hunt. Because it wasn't about the strategies or hunting them. It was just about whitetail deer, what they eat, what what their tendencies are, you know, what makes them tick. So I started just studying um books like one of my favorite books and i still read it every so often is uh the north american whitetail it was just a little like a encyclopedia series north american whitetail and i pulled it up and that's all it is it's not about hunting it's just about deer in different parts of the the united states and uh how you know the, the type of climates they live in their their rut cycle their their reproduction cycle um uh, why they make scrapes, why they rub trees, you know, what their favorite food is and what their fears are, how they escape, what they generally do as far as escape patterns and stuff like that. That That's all stuff that I started reading was just generally about white-tailed deer. And I'm definitely no expert on it, but um, and I think I learned something all the time. The deer I killed in Kansas last week came from a totally different direction than I thought he was going to come from and completely surprised me. Um, and you know, so you just live and learn. It's like never, you got to always be on guard because you think they're coming from this way and all of a sudden, boom, they pop out somewhere else and there he is. But yeah, I think as far as a young, you know, somebody just starting out, uh, hone your woodsmanship skills. I mean, really learn how to hunt without using, um, 
the crutches of, of feed and feeders and stuff like that. Cause it gets, even though it's legal and I don't have anything wrong with it. Cause we, we, we do supplemental feed in Kansas. We supplemental feed in Arkansas. And I mean, I definitely think in the States where it's legal, you pretty much have to, cause if you're not in your neighbor is, you're not gonna have your deer. Um, so, uh, uh, but in order to hone those woodsmanship skills and have that confidence to go out of state and know you're going to be successful, I think you need to go on that public land and some places where you don't have those crutches and you just have to rely on the natural resources that are there. Right on, man. Well, we're running, we're running short on time here today, Tim, but, uh, as we wrap up the show, I have one final question I'd like to ask, ask each of my guests. And that question is, why do you hunt? Uh, one, one, the obvious answer is, is meat. I really, I really love deer meat. I can tell you that the obvious answer is deer meat. The other answer is probably maybe everybody has this, this same scenario is I find that the more, the more I bow hunt, the less I want to shoot. Um, I love being out there and, and interacting with deer and, elk and turkeys and whatever it's just that's just a challenge to me to see if i can beat them at their own game um not only because they're my they're my food and that's all we eat pretty much i mean at home when we cook we, we cook with nothing but but meat that, that 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 i've killed and as you say i say kill i don't say harvest because i i, I don't really like the harvest word i really like the kill word because i think harvest kind of cheapens it a little bit and uh, i just don't want to ever make that a cheap thing to an animal because i just have way too much respect for them but i think mostly i hunt because um i, I think it's the best way for me to connect not only with myself kind of a little bit spiritually but it takes my brain away from all the noise and I can just get out in the woods and just be be part of nature. I guess you could say kind of kind of a little bit of a hippie terminology there. I, I want to be out and be one with nature. I guess. Hey man, that's if that's what you believe, you know that's that's all that matters. And I and I agree with you, man. I totally agree with you, and I, I think that's a great answer. Where can listeners connect with you, Tim? Uh, Instagram, living the brand on Instagram, and uh, Tim Inslee on Facebook, and also living the brand on Facebook. So. Uh, uh, a couple different places there and we soon have a new website that should be up hopefully in the next two weeks it's, it's an all new website it'll be kind of interactive and it's called um, timinsleybowhunting.com all right right on man i'll i'll connect those in the show notes and and we'll let people uh, go ahead and get in contact with you if they have any other questions do you have any other closing thoughts no man i think just um I think we all just just need to, uh, like we talked about earlier, I think we all need to become one tribe and support each other. And, and uh, listen, it's not all about being famous. It's about being in, it's about being uh, a hunter and being ethical and being a conservationist and protecting what we have right now for the generations to come. And I think the sooner we all kind of get involved in that and realize that it's not about getting free stuff and, you know, feeding our egos i think we we will realize that we have a pretty special thing that a lot of people don't get to experience around the world and we need to protect it and it's worth protecting i agree with you man i agree with you thank thanks again for your time today tim i really appreciate it i think this is going to help a lot of people out and uh the conversation was awesome man i really appreciate it hey you bet colin thanks a bunch good catching up 
Thanks for listening this week. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.activatethehunt.com forward slash 008. If you have any hunting related questions or need help getting started as a hunter, don't hesitate to ask the great community of hunters at our digital campfire. You can become a member for free at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash activate the hunt. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can get notified of new episodes. I would also appreciate it if you left me a rating and review on iTunes. This will help others that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. We will be back next week with a new episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt podcast. For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.